Hi, this is Chad. I'm so glad to be part of your journey towards product mastery so you can better develop products that customers love. Today, we're exploring digital transformation in large organizations, as well as other challenges leaders are facing in a digitally transforming business environment. The changes seem to be becoming more rapidly all the time at us. With us is David Rogers. He's an expert on digital transformation, a member of the faculty at Columbia Business School, and the author of five books, including the Digital Transformation Roadmap. Also, we create a detailed written summary of everything we discuss, and also we make a one-page action guide for you to help you put into action the key concepts that David will share with us. You can find those resources at productmasterynow.com slash 444. That's right, 444. This episode is made possible by the Rapid Product Mastery Experience, the RPM Experience, which is my system to help product VPs and leaders get their product managers and everyone else contributing to product to gain the knowledge they need, increase their performance, and work in alignment to reach those North Star objectives. It works best for new teams or established teams that are facing a big challenge. It's unlike other training, it's an experience where we go through the material virtually together and build trust and confidence with each other. Go to productmasterynow.com slash RPM to see how it can help you. David, thanks for being with us today. Thanks, Chad. It's great to be with you. The context is digital transformation. We'll get into that in a moment. But as you are working with executives and organizations, I thought this was a good time to pick your brain about some of those experiences. I'm always curious what organizations are dealing with now. What kind of problems are you talking with them about? What are they telling you? So I'm speaking with a lot of organizations these days, and really there's a tension coming between two things. So it's the external and the internal. Externally, businesses... And these are mostly established organizations, some of them quite large, who I'm speaking with or advising. They're just seeing a lot of external change. The pace is not slowing down. This is new technologies and it's new behaviors among customers, among employees. We've obviously seen wave after wave of digital change driven in the last really 20 years that every industry has been coping with, but it's just been getting deeper and more impactful. And also the pace at which each new wave is coming keeps speeding up. And nowadays we're talking about how do we respond to the latest wave of artificial intelligence, for example, generative AI and large language models. And next year we'll be talking about something else or a related theme or something that builds on that. We're also still grappling with the the after effects, if you will, of the pandemic and how it accelerated a lot of both consumer behaviors, but also employee and operating model shifts in the digital era. So there's all this change coming. And then on the other side, we have this challenge that established businesses find it very hard to adapt, to respond. They are good at certain things, but one of the things they tend to be poor at is as rapid adaptation and learning. So that's what I see companies struggling with. And of course, because of my background and what I've been writing about for years and leading a lot of the discussion around being digital transformation as a broad topic, I see a lot of companies trying to figure out, at this point, every company I speak with is working on some kind of digital transformation and they have plans and they've been maybe pursuing this for maybe a few years by now and putting resources behind it and they've had a formal agenda and maybe they hired a chief digital officer, but they are struggling to see the results. And that's really the kind of the crux of what I've been trying to address in my latest work and my research and my writing is why is it this widely reported uh, phenomenon that If you talk to companies, and many largest management consulting firms in the world have repeated this with different surveys of large organizations, and they will tell you that 70% or more of them are failing in their own efforts to transform. 
So what is holding them back? And that is really what I've been focused on trying to understand and define. What are those key problems that are keeping the organizations that really, at this point, I don't have to convince them that they need to innovate, they need to transform, they need to adopt new digital business models, they need to bring data and connectivity into their business, they need to focus on new growth opportunities. They understand the urgency, but at the same time, there's this gap between the recognition of the need to move and the inertia that is holding back organizations. I also wonder if there's not a factor, particularly with ChatGPT and OpenAI and, you know, what Google now is doing and Microsoft and everyone, that's, wow, things are, the waves are coming so quickly. Yeah. We're not really sure what's going to happen in the next wave. Maybe we should just wait to see what that next wave is. It's hard to know what direction to move. And you probably have some insights and wisdom to share about there's probably some action that we need to take now. There is. And what we need to take now at every stage is to be simultaneously learning about things like new technologies, ChatGPT, generative AI, and so forth, understanding what we do, what we know, what we don't know, but to not get distracted by them. And this is one of the kind of obstacles. I see there's basically, from my research, found five key barriers to really effective organizations that are able to adapt and change and transform on an ongoing basis. In brief, it's... Yeah, David, before you get to the five... Just to, I should probably level set a little bit here. Yeah. We've had a couple of talks in the past about on digital transformation. It's an area kind of like design thinking. There's different flavors, different people mean yeah. different things by it. Can you give us that nutshell version of what do you mean by digital transformation? What are we talking about? Sure, absolutely. So what do we mean by digital transformation? And this is a question I've been seeking to answer for some time, because as you said, I find a lot of com- a lot of companies, a lot of people are thinking about this, talking about this, and yet there's a vagueness of exactly what does this phrase mean. So to me, my definition is this digital transformation is the transformation of an established business to thrive in a digital age of constant change. Right? So a few key ideas here. One, this is about established businesses, right? It is a different challenge than how do you create a new startup, right? How do you look for that white space, that unmet customer need, and start a search for a scalable, repeatable business model and hope to scale something up from scratch? You already have a business model. You have customers. You have an ecosystem probably of partners and distribution channels, and you have employees, and you have a brand reputation. You have all these things in place, and now the challenge is adaptation. Right. How do we turn this giant battleship as it sometimes feels like in the water? The other thing is digital transformation is not fundamentally or at its heart about technology. We need to change because of changes around us, which are being sparked and driven by, catalyzed by new technologies and their adaptation and adoption by customers and businesses and so forth. But to change our own organization we actually have to focus much less on the technology and learn to focus much more on the customer and our own business. And that is really one of these, to to the point of how do we respond when things seem to be going so fast? It's to keep an eye on the technology, but not lose sight of what your real mandate is, which is to solve customer problems, solve business problems, and pursue opportunities for sustainable growth. And if you look at those Again, taking this sort of current wave of generative AI, I see a lot of companies and agencies and so forth pumping out all these kind of 
ooh, wow demos. It's look, this we can use this to pass the bar exam, or we can use this to create a marketing plan in 30 seconds, and we can use it to do this. And it's a lot of gee whiz. And if you look at what's actually being produced, it is the adjective I would give is uncanny. It's wow, it's truly uncanny how this algorithm, which has no self-awareness and no awareness of the ideas it's mimicking and stringing together characters and words, is able to put things together that, that are shockingly similar to what a person might write. Is it actually useful though? Totally different question. And most of the examples I see, it's not useful, right? You create this marketing plan. It's stunning that it can create this detailed marketing plan in 30 seconds. And yet, is it good enough to actually implement? Honestly, if you look at it, no. It's like a B minus student level effort. Right? It's amazing that it was produced in 30 seconds, but do you actually want to go launch that with your business? No. Whereas I see others who are actually saying, okay, how do we actually use this to solve a problem? So I was very impressed with the recent demo by uh, Sal Khan from the Khan Academy of how they're building on top of one of the large language models, an application specifically, and there, of course, their whole space is around education and scaling education, and it's specifically around this classic longstanding problem of every single learner, wherever they are in terms of their current level and the education they've had to date, there's lots and lots of evidence that they will perform and progress better and faster from whatever the current point is if they have, as part of their learning and teaching, one-on-one tutoring. And there's reams of evidence for this. And so his question is, could we use the large language models to create an application that would be something like a one-on-one tutor, right? It doesn't have to be as good as a human one-on-one tutor, but the point is because human one-on-one tutors aren't scalable. They've never been economical except for the most affluent. And they're building an incredible application. And in fact, in some cases, the tutoring is as good or even better than what you might get with a human tutor. It's they found places where, because tutoring, it turns out, a lot of it is just feeding back what the student has just done, asking them questions to explain their work, pointing where they need to look when they've got something wrong rather than just telling them the answer was wrong. So it's a lot of things that can actually be done very effectively by this kind of technology. To me, that's really essential, is we have to be following and tracking what's happening in these very fast-moving changes, but we cannot be distracted from them, by them, distracted from the strategic question of what problems are we trying to solve. Yep. Fundamentally, what product managers like to think about, right? That focus on solving problems for the customer, helping the business to 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 create new opportunities and solving problems for the business. So you are speaking to, to the right group about these topics. Okay, so before you were going to introduce, I think, a framework to, that you use to think about putting in place digital transformation. Sure. So what I've seen is looking at organizations, as I said, many, the majority, over two-thirds report that they've been pursuing some kind of digital transformation. And then if you ask them, they say, no, we're not seeing the results we want or that we expected. And what my research found is there are a lot of things that go wrong and a lot of things that, that people will point to and tell you about. But if you look at the root causes, why are employee is not supporting you? Why are P&L holders balking at the investments you're asking? Why are your, you've hired in these brilliant new hires from Silicon Valley to change your organization and make everyone more data-driven and yet nothing's really changed? Why are all these things happening? So the five kind of root causes or what I call the barriers to digital transformation are a lack of a shared vision, 
So we see a lot of companies that just have this sort of generic intent that say, oh, we want to become more digital. We want to be digital first. We want to future-proof the business. All these kind of meaningless and most importantly, very generic phrases, as opposed to a vision that's specific to the company. Where do we see our world, our context, our customers, our our industry going? And what is that future point? What's the role we see ourselves in this rapidly evolving future around our particular organization? It's got to be rooted in your particular business, your unique capabilities, et cetera. Second problem is a lack of clear growth priorities. And sometimes that's companies who have really no focused strategic process at all. And so that's, you see, chasing after the latest shiny object and let's get, what's our AI strategy? Last week, it was, what's our metaverse strategy, right? Other cases, it's companies who are purely looking at cost savings and efficiency, right? Which is important. There's definitely value to be captured there with a lot of the latest technologies. But if that's all you're looking at is how do we take what we've already been doing, our longstanding business, and just optimize it, you are going to miss out on the biggest growth upside for any organization. So the third barrier is a focus on planning instead of experimentation. And I think that'll be very understood by folks in the product management space because it is all about taking principles and practices of iterative shipping incremental pieces of products or code or whatever it is that you're building and iteratively learning through building and experimenting and getting direct customer feedback from the ultimate user. So lacking that and instead relying on these detailed traditional kind of planning processes, benchmarking, everything needs this long business case, and it's all based on third-party data, right? As opposed to actually gathering data directly yourself from your business. The fourth barrier I see is a lack of flexibility in governance. How do we... How do we allocate resources? How do we allocate people as well as funding? How do we start things and how do we stop things? How do we manage compliance? All of these things, if you take the same business as usual processes, which get very ingrained as organizations get larger as a way of maintaining control and consistency at scale, if you have no flexibility built in and you're just using those same governance models and rules, or you just have ad hoc permissions to, to waive them when you know the CEO approves a pet project, then you see this inability, even when you have good ideas, to effectively scale them, particularly if you're looking at growth outside of the core business. And then the last problem, which is familiar to pretty much everyone, is a lack of change in capabilities. So companies that are trying to transform, and yet whether it's their technology stack has not been brought up into the present era, and so you've got tremendous technical debt, and you have a structure that is very inflexible, for example, or it's your skill set among your people. You don't have the relevant skills and talent base that you need to actually pursue the ideas that your product managers have identified as great problems to be solving, right? Or it's the culture of the organization has not moved forward. And so you're still have mindsets from this kind of pre-digital era that are holding you back. Any, all of these, a lack of sort of real growth and investment in your capabilities is going to ultimately hold you back. So those, that's what I've learned is why so many companies are struggling. The good news, as I said, 70% failure sounds bad. I'm a half glass half full kind of guy. I'm like, there's a lot of companies in that 30% who are doing great work. And so we can find the principles and the models to address each of these five barriers. So that's what the digital transformation roadmap is. It's simply a five-part framework to address the opportunities around vision, around defining growth priorities, around establishing experimentation, about creating much more flexible governance to manage growth at scale, and about building capabilities over time. 
We'll be back with our guest in a moment. As you are a listener to this podcast, I want you to know how you can get even greater value from it, which is by becoming a member of the Product Mastery Now community. After being closed to new members for the last six months, it's now open. The community lets you meet the weekly guests yourself and ask your questions. If you missed these live sessions, you can view the video recording months before the audio-only version is available on podcast players, like what you're listening to now. You can also use Super Search to search the content of all past episodes, both in audio and video when available. The community is also the place to interact with other product professionals and get tips and advice. And that's just part of what the community offers. In my opinion, working in product is the best job you can have. Now, of course, I'm biased, but that's been true for me and true for many others I've talked to. But still, many of us have few opportunities to network and learn from other product professionals. Let's change that. Since you already find this podcast valuable, you need to be in the community also, and you can be for as little as $10 a month. You'll be helping yourself and also helping this podcast. Please join now by going to productmasterynow.com slash community. Thanks for checking it out. The key takeaway for me, what you've talked about so far, when I first encountered digital transformation as a thing and it started coming up more and more a few years ago, the context always seemed to be first about we have this manual process and we're going to digitize it in some way. Yeah. And then maybe a little more sophistication. We're going to make it easier for our customers to have self-service options and to get help themselves. And um, that's going to, to build better customer relationships. And okay, that's all good. What you're talking about is when you talk through those barriers, there's not a real clear focus on the digital part. This is really the focus on the transformation part, right? That organizations, this is like a Trojan horse to get organizations to transform for the better. And we're saying you're going to have to get dragged into it because this is happening, but we need to transform to be more adaptable. Absolutely. And and that's why I stress that the challenge of digital era, by definition of digital transformation, it's about how does established businesses thrive in a digital age of constant change? Because it's not like there was a digital change in the environment. The internet was born and now we need to adapt and then we're going to be done. That's another Mm -hmm. common misunderstanding about digital transformation. It is not a project. Right? There's not a start date and an end date. It's a common question I get from CEOs. Okay, is this a two, two-year project or a three-year project? Right. This is a continuous change process. And you know, the last book I wrote really focused on how do we need to rethink strategy, whatever business we're in, for the digital era and take a lot of the sort of principles we used to teach in business schools and elsewhere around strategy, around competition and customers and customer strategy and value proposition and so forth, and how do we need to update them to really be ready to rethink our business models and our opportunities for the future. But what I learned since then was that even when companies are able to shift their thinking get past some of those blind spots, really see where the market is going, what customer needs are out there, how they need to change, what they could be building, that it's not just digitizing that paperwork you've got in the back office, but there's a lot more. It's really rethinking your business. Then what I discovered is the larger and more complex the organization is, even when they see where they need to go, it's incredibly hard to move. It's incredibly hard to that adaptability, as you said, to get moving that flexibility, moving that direction. And so that's why really this book and this framework is all about how do we ingrain that? How do we build that so that the organization can change not just today, but tomorrow and with the next wave and the next wave? 
Excellent. Okay. Probably time for an example or two to help us get our hands around this a sure. little bit. Can you take us through an organization that you've helped that went through a digital transformation and what was involved in that, maybe what the outcome was, where they are now, what the benefits they're seeing? Yeah. So I've had a chance to work with and also work alongside and learn from a range of different industries at this point. And uh, I'll put a couple different examples, but also ones that folks are going to be familiar with. Walmart, I have some good friends at. This is a company that's been, I think, doing a lot of things right and was willing to put in the hard work early on when investors were saying, why are you even trying to go into e-commerce? Amazon, for example, is so far ahead and the core first wave of e-commerce, how are you going to catch up? But Walmart is a company that's done a really good job of clearly defining problems to be solved that matter and really testing and learning which 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 of its solutions or ventures or new growth ideas are working, which ones aren't, and not being afraid to shut things down and to scale up the ones that are working. One of the big growth opportunities they've been looking at is e-commerce around groceries, or really, I should say, omni-channel commerce, because... We've grown up from the point where there was this early thought that, gee, maybe all the old retailers are going to go away. Everything's going to go to e-commerce. And we've learned that clearly the right solution in various circumstances for customers is a kind of mix of online and offline shopping and commerce. And Walmart understood that we are not going to beat Amazon at its own game. We have, they have certain strengths. Their biggest source of profit is a cloud computing enterprise services business, which is not even (laughs) where Walmart is playing. On the other hand, Walmart has all these physical stores. So can we turn that from a a liability, if you were thinking from a purely e-commerce world, into an asset? Right. What are the strategies they can pursue where that becomes an advantage? And as I said, one of the one of the problems that they've looked at in particular is a grocery delivery where you need some sort of a blended opportunity. And they've looked at it in many different ways. Right. And they created lots of pilots, different approaches. Do we have our own employees drop off products as they're driving home from the store? Do we have customers come to the store and pick something up? Do we deliver it to you? In which case, is there an annual fee like an Amazon Prime type? model or is it you pay per delivery? Do we differentiate the groceries versus the other kinds of online products, which might be in a warehouse versus what's in the store? The thing about the stores is 90% of Americans live within 10 miles of a Walmart. So it's not actually the stores, it's the proximity of the stores, which is this tremendous strategic asset. So they've had tremendous success with it. They tried a lot of things, they figured out what actually was working, and then they built on that. And things that have been really impactful, for example, is their buy online, pick up at store model, which was already growing before the pandemic. And that, of course, supercharged it because all of a sudden you got the opportunity, you could order online, drive up to the Walmart store, stay outside in your car, don't even have to roll down the window, open your trunk, and someone would come out and put your groceries in it. So people felt very secure and safe around that. That's been a huge success for them. But they're also looking at business models that are further out and further afield. One of the things they tried was a text messaging-based conversational commerce concierge service. It was called Jet Black, and they did it in select markets, which could be an upscale product. And they found there was a real, they could drive change in customer behavior, right? So they could get product market fit, which some people think is like the holy grail, but I would argue is only you're about halfway through validating a business model. But they found they couldn't scale it. 
it couldn't scale yet to a business model that's going to be able to capture enough value to continue to grow it. So they wound that down for now. Of course, they've got the IP and the learning and they can feed it into other projects, but they've got other things that they're building. Their health centers within their stores have done very well. They are turning, they're building micro warehouses in the stores to turn them into localized fulfillment centers to support that e-commerce channel. They've been bringing in robotics in some aspects of the uh, stocking and scanning of shelves, et cetera. They're even looking at edge computing, building on, again, their the combination of the retail footprint and their data, their tremendous data they have. They're building up an ad network. So really trying a lot of things, being willing to test and learn in the market what works. And again, not being too attached to an idea that just because you've started it, you that's ultimately going to be the solution, but looking in multiple places and investing in and scaling up those that validate to be ready to really grow in the market. And that's all focused around their core strengths, right? As any organization would want to do. As you said, we're not going to beat Amazon at their game. We have all these retail locations and the square footage available to us. What can we do with that? And we've been amazed. And I haven't seen anything, in, and maybe I've just missed it, but I haven't seen anything really in, in the press about this. But lately, and we live in a rather rural area, but we are within 10 miles of the Walmart store. One of that 90%, yeah? Yeah. And lately, ordering things that we might have before gone to Amazon, now going to Walmart, and the first time this happened, my wife and I were like, this is weird. Because if you're in a big tech city, you can order something on Amazon and get them in a couple hours. But yeah. that doesn't happen for us. Two days is amazing. I'm just, I'm shocked that you can get it in two days. Yeah. But we ordered from Walmart at eight o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And there was a driver that dropped it off on our doorstep by 10. Yeah. Within two hours. It was just shocking to me. Wow. They are really doing something to yeah. make this more convenient for me as a shopper. Yeah, and that's what changes customer behavior, and that's what that what that's what grows a real business for the long term. They did a lot of validating, and they continue to tweak it. One of the things they added, it seemed like a crazy idea. I see a lot of cases. I try to teach executives the importance of humility. There are so many cases of ideas that turned into huge failures that looked so obviously before you started. Of course, that will work, and then you see the opposite: your ideas that sound crazy, and yet. It turns out it does work. So one of the right. latest was they had already launched Walmart Plus and they've had various models where they're growing this delivery business as you described. And then it turned out they said they were getting some feedback that there were some customers who want didn't want to have to put away the groceries themselves. So they've now created a premium service where you have someone from Walmart, they actually come into your house and they put it away in your pantry and your fridge, everything for you, right? Now, obviously you got about... Is that going to work? What's the customer experience? So you can't have third-party like Uber contractors model of doing that. They're like uniform Walmart employees. It's actually you have somebody who's like your, your delivery person in your town. But they found a model that people will pay a premium for and really that experience. But you're not going to know until you test it. Yeah, interesting. There's lots of opportunities. And I think the thing there that the nugget for me was not to get blinded by the next shiny object syndrome. Wow, what can we do with this great emerging technology? How does that fit for us? But to really focus on what is our vision for where we want to go as an organization? Yeah. And what are the unique capabilities we have that we can leverage to create a competitive advantage? Exactly. And that is what will allow you to really create value and to reap value out of all these new technologies. If you get distracted from that process of having those constant conversations, clarifying where are we actually trying to go as a business? What's our unique path? And then what are those specific 
that short list of problems to solve, opportunities for growth. Uh, I have a whole a tool in the book, the problem opportunity matrix, which is all about how do you define those on an ongoing basis? If you're in if you're in agile a software development, you would call it a venture backlog. You've got this sort of ranked ordered list of what are the key problems and opportunities that we are trying to solve right now. And you should be doing that at different levels of the organization. So that the matrix is designed to be applied, whether you're a single team or you're a function like marketing or you're a business unit, and to be continually reassessing and clarifying what are the opportunities that matter most to us right now, right? What I call picking the problems that matter most. And then if you have that clarity and understanding as the technologies keep popping up and changing and suddenly there's a new capability, you are positioned to actually see, oh, this is where this fits in. This could actually help us solve this problem or pursue this market opportunity. Maybe it's not relevant to the other one rather than tail, the dog chasing its own tail, trying to find, here's the shiny object. I'll just figure out later what I'm going to do with it. Very important. Okay. The book, no doubt, has many more details in it, and we'll tell people about how to find that in just a moment. But listeners know we like innovation quotes. I really enjoy innovation quotes myself. I asked you to bring one and to share what that means to you. So the innovation quote that I was thinking about, again, recently wanted to share, it's it's from the boxer Mike Tyson. Younger folks might not know because his career ended a few years back. They might know him from movies he appeared in. But Mike Tyson once famously said, And he was asked about what his plan was for a big heavyweight fight he was getting ready for, had coming up. And Tyson said, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. And to me, there is so much wisdom for business packed into that because I find so many organizations are so trapped in this process of planning. And not that it's not worth, of course, planning is important, thinking about where you're going, but the planning becomes the point and they create these incredibly detailed plans and they think the more work they put into the planning process, the more prepared they are to execute. And so this is not defining a problem, but what are we going to do? What are the steps? And gaming out, this is what we're going to do in the first quarter and the second quarter. And this is when we should start seeing return on investment and, and all the stages and consultants will come in and help you create all these detailed plans. And you build up this incredible false confidence of understanding what you think is going to happen in your business. And of course, first contact with the customer, with the market, incredibly corrective to Mm -hmm. this. And yet organizations are not ready to adapt because they have built up all these plans. So to me, what I see the companies that are really succeeding is they have a characteristic of humility. One of the folks I've Matt, who I think you know embodied this very much, is Dean Baquet. So he was until recently the executive editor of the New York Times. So he was on the journalism side. He was the head of that side of the organization during the real big changes where they actually finally, after years of flailing and getting it all wrong, started to truly change the whole kind of culture and business model of the organization. But he said, uh, an event, uh, I met him at, he was said, we have no idea what is going to work. He said, we try things, we screw up. We didn't know what was going to, if podcasts were going to work or which. We just, we recognize we don't know what the future of journalism is, but we have to try things and go in with that open mind and that sense of discovery. And that to me is the difference. And it's getting away from this idea that using plans is a crutch and you're going to do all this kind of advanced planning process and understand you need to know. Again, as a product, good product manager would tell you, you need to know the problem you're solving 
And you need to come up with an idea for what you think you might be a next step for it. Okay. We think there's an audio journalism opportunity. What could podcasts look like? There's lots of things that you, that could look like. You come up with a few hypotheses and then you ask, what are the questions we need to validate? Who's interested in that? And how frequently and the length and so forth. And then you go out and actually start measuring and testing the data. And I see so many companies by contrast within their category would be CNN and the catastrophe of CNN plus was to my observation, a complete uh, case of the failure of believe over uh, overly believing in planning. So they started with a lot of third-party data on what was going on the market. They convinced themselves that there was this huge guaranteed opportunity. All they had to do was leverage their brand as a streaming service. Of course, people would pay for it. Look at the success of Disney Plus, and. They like worked up all these kind of justifications in advance of why this was a sure thing. And then not only did that, and then top leadership make the decision, we're going to go forward. And they spent $300 million before they even launched. That was just preparing for execution. No real experimentation, no testing of what the market really was, how many of the current viewers would actually want the streaming app or sign up for a paid version. And of course, it was a disaster, right? About 1% was the conversion rate of people who already watched CNN and who versus people who, people who adopted the streaming service. And the whole thing was shut down in about a month. But that was the folly of thinking that if you just did all this planning rather than getting to the market, testing, learning, validating your business model and hypotheses, that that's somehow how you drive growth and innovation. And it's the complete opposite of the truth. It is a good quote that embraces all of that, right? That wraps that up. The need to test and experiment and learn before we commit to a plan because the yeah. plan will change when it encounters real world experience with customers. Absolutely. Thank you so much, David, for sharing that with us. Well, thank you, Chad. How can people find out about the work that you're doing and where's the best place to look for the digital transformation roadmap? So the Digital Transformation Roadmap, I always encourage folks to go Amazon. You can order it now, and but it's, it is on sale or pre-sale or will be very shortly on pretty much every other book ordering platform and store, but it's pretty easy to find. Anyway, I always say start with the Amazon the page and you can order it right now. For other information or just about my work and what I'll be continuing to share writing and research and case studies from this area, you can go to my website, davidrogers.digital, or also, because it's easy to remember, digitaltransformationroadmap.com. That'll take you to the same site. And you can click on any of the subscribe buttons. I'm relaunching my newsletter as the book is about to come out. And I'll be sharing a free chapter of the book actually in advance to those who have already subscribed, but also in the weeks and months ahead uh, through my new Substack newsletter, regularly sharing interviews with executives, new case studies, businesses, lessons from those who are growing, those who are making missteps, and uh, new tools and insights for my readers and my former students. Okay, we'll make sure those links are in the show notes so it's easy to find those resources. David, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Chad. It was a real pleasure. And listeners, just as a reminder, if you want the written version of everything we just talked about, as well as that one-page action guide, you'll find those resources at productmasterynow.com slash 444. Also, we do have a private community for product managers that are working their way towards leadership positions and are already doubling down in their leadership positions. 
And we continue this discussion after the we publish the podcast, and we're going to continue talking with David and ask a few more questions of him and give members in that community an opportunity to talk with him directly. If you're interested in being part of that community, go to productmasterynow.com slash community. As always, everyone, keep innovating. Thank you for listening to Product Mastery Now, where product leaders and managers gain product mastery through practical knowledge, influence, and confidence. By listening, you are becoming a product master, creating products customers love. Find additional resources at productmasterynow.com. Keep innovating.